Welcome to the Grave Plot Podcast. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Grave Plot Podcast. A member of the Pod Gods Network, that's podgodsnetwork.com. I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. And uh, this is the first episode of a new year. 2015. Yeah. Mofos. Hope you all had a, a lovely New Year's Eve. Um, I think ours were mutually shitty. Yeah, it was bad. Somehow we both got a cold. Um, yeah, but I don't think we got it from each other. Probably. Oh, I was going to say maybe it was from all the making out we were doing, but, you know. No, that couldn't be it. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, you got it. I got it. Your girlfriend got it. And my, my parents got it, too, apparently. Uh, no, just my dad and my sister. So everybody fucking got sick. Tis the season. Yeah. I seem to be the common link, but I don't think I was the first one to get sick, so I don't, I don't know what's going on. I bet you were. Patient zero. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we were both supposed to go to the same place on New Year's Eve, but my wife and I only stayed for a little while, and you didn't come at all, so. No. Nope. Uh, what did you guys end up doing? Um, watching TV and falling asleep. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, we, we stayed at this place we were at uh, for uh, until about 10 30 11 and then we went home stayed up till midnight just to you know bring in the new year and then went went to bed <laughs> we uh we we stayed up and then like i i started to fall asleep about eleven fifteen, and my girlfriend was like do you want to go to bed and i was like but we're so close <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like when you're you're a kid and you want to stay up t- till midnight so bad but you end up just Asking out at like ten thirty. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we're both on the mend right now, so I have to excuse us. We sound a little gravelly and maybe a little stuffed up still, but <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna make it through this. The show must go wrong. Yeah. Anyway, um, anything else new? Uh, no. All right. Um, this is gonna be. I think it's gonna be a short episode, sort of. Because we do have an interview, first one of the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we say who it is? Did we? Do, uh, yeah, did we? Did we? Uh, no. Okay. Well, well, we did on Twitter. So if, right. if they follow us on Twitter. <clears throat> yeah, if you follow us on Twitter, you know that uh, we did an interview with uh, Miss Tristan Risk, um, who you guys would know from probably American Mary, most immediately, mm-hmm. um, ABCs of Death 2, if you've seen that. <laughs> Uh, and a bunch of upcoming work. But um, other than that, not a whole lot of horror business this episode. So I guess maybe we just start in on it and work our way through it. Sure. All right. Horror business. All right. Start off with... uh, Again, we're starting out on a somber note. Uh, those of you that have, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen The Omen, um, you would know uh, Billy Whitelaw, who played Mr. Bay- or, excuse me, Mrs. Baylock, uh, who was Damien's evil satanic nanny. Um, she I'm pretty pa- sure that was Kirsten Dunst. What? In the remake? That was Kirsten Dunst? Yeah. God, I haven't seen that in a long time. I don't... I don't remember. I haven't seen it at all. Oh, well, okay. Because I don't... Well, I was going to say I don't watch bad movies, but I do. I watch a lot of bad movies. 
<clears throat> um, yeah, she passed away on December 21st. Um, she was living in a retirement home for actors in the north of London, um, which... <laughs> which is a reality show begging to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it might just end set, like on a sad note every episode. Somebody though. dies every yeah. episode? Um, but yes, yeah, she was uh, 82 years old. And um, aside from Mrs. Uh, Baylock, uh, she, you might know her from uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. And she was also in Hot Fuzz, which was, of course, uh, Edgar Wright and uh, Simon Pegg collaboration. Who was she? She was, um, God, I don't remember the character's name, but she, she ran the hotel. The hack. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, I did not recognize her. Yeah, I mean, she obviously aged a lot, but, um, I think probably in the more artistic world, she was probably more known for her collaborations with the playwright Samuel Beckett. From where, Quantum Leap? Yeah, where together they worked to fix what had once gone wrong. Right? To put right what put once right went wrong. wrong. Yeah. That's that's the quote. Of course, this, this nerd over here knows. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess she was being tended to pretty closely by her son, um, you know, lately. Uh, he was... He's, he had stated that she had not been well for the last year or so. And then the last few months, she started a pretty quick decline and uh, eventually passed away. No real specifics on the actual cause of death or even what was ailing her. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, sad day. Um, I mean, those of you that aren't very uh, familiar with, like I said, you know, the, the art, artistic world of, you know, plays and stuff like that you may not know her very well but if you if you're a fan of the omen like most horror fans are you definitely know her as miss baylock and what a influential and dark character that was so um yeah so sad news um and uh we wish the best for her family in their time of loss and uh while we're on the subject also we lost um uh, Edward Herman, yes, for, who you know you would know from the Lost Boys most right. likely, or you know some of you might know him from the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I'm sure all our fans are Gilmore Girl fans. I don't know; some of them might be, possibly. Um, yeah, he was 72, I believe. That sounds right. So yeah, sad, sad times. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember the exact day he died, but again, it was right around Christmas, which is always a bummer. Yeah. I mean... It's very professional to talk with your mouth full of beef jerky, too, you fat motherfucker. It's my show. I can do what I want. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's a sad day for everyone. the second time in history there was massive bloodshed at the Monroeville Mall 
<laughs> in Pennsylvania um, on 12-26, the day after Christmas. Gotta love the holidays. Yeah. Um, I imagine they were probably fighting over some toy or something. There was probably some sale going on. And uh, things escalated quickly. Yeah. And there was a massive brawl. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, the Monroeville Mall is the primary location in the original Dawn of the Dead. Right. Um, it's actually believed that this fight started between two teenage girls. Because of course it did. Yeah. Because teenage girls are probably some They'd of the... be crazy. Yeah, they're like the most insane and stupid people on the planet. So, And I don't regret saying that at all. Because anybody that's known a teenage girl knows that. Um, yeah. I guess there was multiple fights throughout the entire mall. So, <laughs> how how something like that could just just a, like a little bitch fit between two teenage girls could just escalate into something like that? Yeah, like what what cued all the other fights? I, I don't know. I was just like, hey, those girls are fighting. Let's fight too. <laughs> Fuck you. I was actually at um, the uh, South Center Mall here in the Seattle area, and. I was Christmas shopping. Actually, I think this was Black Friday. I was there. Um, that was bold, huh? That was bold. Well, I only went to go buy like one or two things. I wasn't going to go do all my Christmas shopping there that day. So, um, that's become kind of a family tradition of of mine. Well, of my family's, we just go there. Mostly, just people watch. Just look at all the crazy people tearing each other apart. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, um, something similar happened. Like, I was downstairs, and I heard all this screaming and yelling and stuff. And so, of course, my curiosity got the best of me, and I went upstairs and just caught the tail end of this fight between these two teenage girls breaking out. And there were, like, probably 30 people. Just watching? Yeah, in the area. Yeah, either getting you know getting involved, like trying to break it up or whatever, or just yeah, just watching. I was blown away by how many people were taking pictures. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, so, which is also what happened in Monroeville. Right, there is cell phone video available. I guess we probably post a link to it in the show notes. Sure. Um, yeah, stores closed their security gates because they didn't want people coming in and breaking shit. Uh, the police were called. They Brought the riot squads in. That's intense. <laughs> uh, when there is no more room in hell, crazy bitches will walk the earth. <laughs> Don't look your back, drop all the knobs, look for the shelter tomorrow. Before they face this monster, strings you on the tree. Beware of slender our new t-shirt <laughs> okay <laughs> um <clears throat> so we've this is probably a couple months ago now no longer ago than that i don't remember exactly but a while back we talked about um oh no i guess this was back in may of last year so it's been a while um two 12 year old girls oh we're moving on i thought i didn't okay sorry <laughs> keep up taylor uh, the two 12-year-old girls in, um, oh, God, I don't remember where this was. 
I can't believe I didn't write it down either. Um, well, the two girls that stabbed their friend and classmate 19 times in order to appease Slender Man. That's too many times. It is too many times. Um, they have been deemed competent to stand trial, which I feel is a victory for the justice system. Um, they are being charged with attempted murder. As I mentioned, they stabbed their classmate 19 times uh, in May of last year. Um, trying to call upon Slenderman, who, of course, is a fictional creation of Creepypasta.com. Um, but these two girls told the police that... Or, sorry, one of them told the police that they believe that Slenderman is actually the leader of creepypasta.com. And uh, in order to enter his realm, um, a creepypasta user must kill someone. It's interesting that they were deemed competent after saying things like that. Well, it's like they're not insane. They're just stupid. (laughs) I suppose. Um, This was in Wisconsin, by the way. Thank you. Um, They're being charged as adults. Which is big because, like I said, they're 12 when it happened. They're probably either 13 or edging on 13 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to be charged as adults, that's that's an interesting move. I personally agree with it. Um, to put these girls in a, a juvenile facility for uh, seven years, or no, excuse me. Five. Five years, and then let them out. That's unacceptable. So yeah. for them to be tried as an adult and then face potentially life in prison, that's that's the way to go, I think. Um, <clears throat> the preliminary hearing is taking place in February. Um, February so, 18th, yes. to be exact. And, uh, yeah, so we'll... Uh, Stay on top of this, and I, I assume probably not more news to hear until February at the earliest. So uh, we'll keep track of it and let you know as things progress. The moral of the story is A, Slender Man is not real. B, don't stab people. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> this edition of Children's Corner with Taylor <laughs> has been brought to you by the Great Plot Podcast. Don't lose your head Don't lose your head Now don't lose your head Don't lose your head Trucking right along here I think we're close to halfway through our news already (laughs) Alright Well, in addition to not stabbing people you should also not cut people's heads off with an axe, <laughs> which apparently no one told Christian Jose Gomez of Florida because on New Year's Eve, old Christian Jose decided that he had had enough of hearing his mom ask him to move boxes into the attic, so he cut her head off with an axe. Yeah. Yeah, he put her head in a trash can and put the body next to the trash because it wouldn't fit. 
Seems logical, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wh- what else are you going to do with it? Really? Uh, his older brother discovered the body. His older brother was home at the time, but did not know what had happened. What the fuck was he doing? Jerking off. Just <laughs> in his bedroom, pounded off. Just <laughs> watching the game. Um, Christian is schizophrenic. He was supposed to be medicated, but clearly was not. Mm-hmm. He was committed for a psych evaluation within the past year. Um, clearly that didn't work. Uh, his relatives say he's a good person. Of course. Right. Everyone always does. But he has trouble coping with his illness. I mean, who's going to say that they're relative? I mean, unless they just hate their relative. But, it, like, in, in earnest, who's going to say their relative is, like, a deranged lunatic? Who, well, yeah, whenever there's, that? like, a, a school shooting or something, it's always like, he was the nicest boy. He was so quiet, I never would have expected it. Just just once. I would, well, no, I don't. That, I'm not going to say that, but... It would be interesting to actually hear somebody just be like, no, that makes total sense. Like, I was a fucking nutcase. But, of course, then, you know, the question from there is, well, why didn't anyone see this coming then? Yeah, I mean, these kind of things you can never... I mean, obviously, him being a schizophrenic makes him a little bit of a target for suspicion. But, I mean, you think, like, locally here... um, few months ago we had the shooting at a high school here and um the kid was popular well-known well-liked he's yeah. a football player he's a prom king right and so for him i mean he he killed what three four of his friends three or four yeah the family members too yeah because the, the school was either on or adjacent to an indian reservation so obviously a lot of pilchuck indians um, Pilchuck, that's a tribe. Yeah. No. Um, going to the school, and a lot of them, because it's a small community, a lot of them are related. And, yeah, two of these people he killed were, well, I guess one survived, but some of them were his relatives, and that was fucked up. Yeah. But, so you can never really expect the right person, you know? That's true. Everyone just throws your curveball. Anyway. It's not often you hear somebody going to this kind of extreme. Yeah, like this sounds like something out of a movie. Right. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is us resurrecting uh, our real-life horror uh, segment. <laughs> Forgot to mention that. Yeah, in case you missed that. Right. <coughs> anyway, so yeah, as Taylor said, don't chop people's heads off with an axe unless you know where to get rid of the body. No. Let's let's just stop at axe. <laughs> Actually, let's just stop at don't cut people's heads off. Sure. With anything. With anything, yeah. yeah. mentioned before that after many years of waiting uh, something's being done with Evil Dead franchise uh, in a TV show on Stars Network. Uh, it's going to be starring Bruce Campbell as Ash as we mentioned. Sam Raimi is going to be 
EPing and directing the pilot. Um, beyond that, we're not entirely sure what his involvement will be. I imagine he'll stay on as an EP, but I don't know how um, directly involved he'll be. But um, Bruce Campbell did an interview with Entertainment Weekly and uh, kind of revealed some plot points and some uh, some stuff about the show. It's looking like the series is being planned for a late 2015 release, which I don't think we knew that before. We knew I think we figured it was going to be this year, but I don't think we knew exactly when. Yeah. Um, but yeah, late 2015, <clears throat> you have to figure maybe fall or early winter at some point. Um, looks like the general plot is going to be that Ash is living in a trailer park and working his latest thankless big box store job when a return of the deadite prompts him to take a road trip with two young co-workers. So does he not work at S-Mart anymore? It doesn't look like it. Um, he may have tried to disappear or something. Hmm. That's disappointing. Well, I mean, you know, if if you know your enemy works at S-Mart, where's the first place you're going to look? His house. <laughs> okay, Taylor. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, Bruce was quoted as saying, um, we realized if we made another movie, frankly, it would probably be too expensive. But in the format of a TV show, we could give people exactly what they wanted and expand the character and the story even more. Uh, he said that Ash would become more of a fleshed-out character, which uh, I, I feel like he's pretty fleshed out already. I would think, yeah, after three movies. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't really know like his his backstory, I guess. Do you need to? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, you you know where he stood through the thir- three movies. This brief plot told us where he is now. Do we need to know any more beyond that? I don't. I don't really yeah. care, but, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, he went on to credit The Walking Dead with growing the um, horror TV genre, which I think is probably pretty accurate. I mean, if you think about it, the horror TV genre was more or less non-existent before The Walking Dead came around. Oh, I agree with that, yeah. So, um, And it, it being so closely related dealing with obviously the undead um, through different means it's essentially the same yeah so um, when he was asked uh, what he loved most about the character he said that he just he likes that Ash is just a normal guy he, he said that uh, he's a guy with no appreciable skills he's not a former Navy SEAL He's not a former CIA or FBI. He's no special anything. He's just a guy from S-Mart, you know? Which is true. Because, I mean, that, that, I think that's something that everybody's always loved about Ash, is that he's just your everyday Joe that got in, kind of got forced into a situation. Oh, yeah, I mean, he was just a kid in the first one. Right, yeah. Um, and, you know, the, he kind of gradually turned into more of a badass yeah. Which at times is a little unbelievable, especially if you make the jump from like Evil Dead 2 to Army of Darkness, where he's just like this gun-toting, uh, you know, chainsaw-handed, like, warrior, basically. Yeah. And you think, 
in relation to Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2, which more or less took place in the same day um, for it to make that jump so quickly in in the, in the timeline of the movie. It seemed a little unbelievable at times, but it's like, you know, it's just so awesome. It's like, <laughs> do you really care? No, I don't. <laughs> um, so it's looking like, uh, as, we mentioned, as I mentioned, uh, he's going to be on a road trip with two young co-workers. Uh, it's going to be one male, one female, which is, I guess, supposed to be to be expected. Uh, he said it's uh, one's going to be kind of a male bonding ex- uh, situation. The other is a father, father figure deal, uh, since Ash could have a daughter at the same age as this character. Would that really stop Ash from banging her, though? If she was half his age, he'd still he'd still get it. <laughs> still get it. I don't know. I don't know if Ash is that kind of guy. Oh yeah, he is. <laughs> he would serenade them with his singing. Singing. Bomb bomb. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get that, go back and watch the first Evil Dead, or watch our drunken cinema, or, or that. Wait, there was an Evil Dead too. That's right. Yeah. Uh no, no, no. It was Evil Dead one. Well, we talked about it on our drunken cinema. Well, well. So maybe he did it again in Evil Dead too. Maybe that's just his trademark song. Well, look, because <laughs> he was singing it to Linda. And Linda was in Evil Dead 2 for about two seconds. Well, maybe that was just enough time for her, him to sing to her. I don't know, man. I just, was drunk, but I remember it happening. Now you're just being difficult. Um, but this, you know, this plot sounds pretty familiar uh, to me in that this it sounds like Ash's storyline in... Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Yeah, you said that before. Did I? Yeah. Well, I think that was before I knew actually what the plot was. Oh, well, you still said it. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that makes you just all the more irritating because Sam Raimi put the kibosh on it because he wouldn't sign off on the rights. And so that couldn't get made. But now it sounds like he's basically recycling a little <laughs> bit of the plot. Um. So, uh, speaking of Sam Raimi, he said that uh, to get this made, having Sam Raimi involved was like absolutely crucial. He said we have to get, we had to get Sam. That was the bottom line. I wouldn't take it seriously if they didn't get Sam, and neither would the fans. So we're on the right road. And other incoming directors would be apprenticing under his style and method, like Fargo the TV show. There are rules about how you shoot that show, about how it's supposed to look. So in our case, once they learn the system, the Evil Dead way, we can really have a blast with it. Which makes sense. I mean, you want to capture that Sam Raimi feel. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he's right. You can't have an Evil Dead movie, or TV show, in that, for that matter, um, that doesn't really capture that feel of the original. So, um, And when, you know, when you mentioned Fargo, that's accurate too because the Coen brothers really have a distinct way of making their movies and so I haven't watched the TV show have you? Neither have I. I've heard good things though. Yeah. Uh, I think it's got like been nominated for like Emmys and stuff like that. Oh yeah? I, I think. Um, but I, I can imagine that that was probably 
pretty essential to the success of that show was capturing that Coen Brothers feel. I'm sure. Yeah. So I wonder if uh, Fide Alvarez is going to direct any episodes. I don't know. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, he directed. Um, he's in the. He's in the family. Right. He directed an episode of. Um, From Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Um, so I don't see any reason why he wouldn't do this. But um, now something that I'm sure will put a lot of people on edge is the question of CGI. Since Sam Raimi has become very CGI happy as of late. Um, as soon as he tasted money with Spider-Man movies, he was all about the CGI. That was one thing that really, really turned me off about Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, exactly. Right. Some of the CGI scenes were so bad. Right. And instead of just using squibs, like, God, I think we discussed this way back, but the the a squib is so easy to make, so easy to employ. It's messy, but it's cheap and easy. Um and yet, in Drag Me to Hell, there was so much CGI blood. It's like, why? CGI blood should not ever exist. No. there's Until they can, like, exactly replicate the way it flies, the way it shines in the light, the way, I mean, the, the coloring, definitely. Until they can master those things, like, to where it looks like you could touch it. Don't even fucking bother because it just looks like shit. Yeah, like I've come around to CGI for like touch-ups of things and like certain transitions and stuff like that. But there's so many things and just anything involving blood always, 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 100% of the time looks better practical. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, things like uh, just take like like wires, suspension wires. Um. If uh, they, or, you know, back in the day before CGI, all they would do is they would, like, put some smudge on the film to, to get rid of those wires. And so, I mean, that that's, like, basically like early day CGI editing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so if they can do that with computers now, so be it. If they can cover up makeup seams or, you know, if they can make a, a monster's head open up further or something, <laughs> then then go for it. But yeah, things like blood, um, like just uh, makeup in general. It's like don't even fucking don't cheap it. out. Just yeah, fucking do it right. Um. Anyway, to the point, he said that there will be a mix of practical and computer effects. Uh, he said that. Which eases no one's mind. Right. Um, because, I mean, you look at other star shows like, I mean, you know, things that are have high production values like um, uh, Spartacus. A lot of CGI in that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with the original <laughs> Evil Dead crew involved, it, it's it's possible that they could obviously lean more towards practical effects. But he did say there will be a mix. Um, he he insists that they kind of found like that perfect balance where the people aren't really going to know exactly what they're looking at. They won't know if it's practical or CGI. So we'll see. I mean, we know that TV CGI is not the best. Yeah, that's one thing like that always frustrates me on Walking Dead when I can tell that it's a CGI, especially when you have fucking Greg Nicotero working on the 
show. Running the fucking show. <laughs> yeah, th- that guy's amazing. How does he allow these horrible CGI things to be in the final product? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so um, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I really want to see. I would love to see some like sneak peeks, you know, on the road to production. And I'm sure that stuff's coming. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, so I mean, neither of us have cable, so we'll have to find those things like secondhand, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I mean, if we hear more news, whether Bruce talks about it or Sam talks about it or or whatever, we'll we'll keep you posted and let you know anything new that comes about. Before about the television show Constantine. We haven't really talked about it in a while, though, I think since it aired, even. Yeah, I, I don't think so at all. Um, do you watch it? No. No? I've, I've been meaning to. I just, every, other things keep coming up that I watch instead. Mm. Um, you've, you've been watching? Yeah. And do you, do you enjoy it? Uh, it was slow to start, um, especially like in the first episode, they introduced this character and. Apparently, it was explained, like, why she wouldn't be continuing on the show, because I guess the producers, or, like, the showrunners changed their mind, like, uh, the direction they wanted to go with the show. They changed it last minute, <laughs> and so they reshot some scenes to explain away why she wouldn't be in any further episodes. And I guess I missed that, because the next episode, they introduced a new character, and this original girl wasn't in it. I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> But um, it was a little slow to start, but it's really picked up. Um, and I think the ratings would probably... I, I think the ratings and uh, overall um, fan response will, will show that. Well, here's hoping you're right, because there's been a lot of talk recently about possibly canceling the show, right. giving up on it already. Um, they're going to try moving time slots... And hoping that that can maybe pick things up. Um, like Tony said, it, it is getting positive reviews. I don't know if the, the viewership numbers are down because people are watching it on DVR or, you know, watching it on... Cause I, it's on Hulu, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so there might be people watching it on there or something. And it's just, um, for whatever reason, they're not loving what they're seeing. Um, production was halted after the original 13 episode order because of low ratings. So now it's being moved to 8 PM uh, when it returns January 16th. So that is a Tuesday. What? Nope. Sorry. That's still December. Yep. That's a Friday. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm looking at December's calendar. Hmm. We need a new calendar. So it's Fridays. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be on Fridays at eight, which it's a dangerous time slot in itself. Cause... Well, I mean, they were. It was Friday at ten. Okay, well, eight's going to be better than ten at least. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Friday nights got to imagine a lot of people are going out. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and you know, it's always been referred to as like the Friday Friday night death slot, which is basically Friday. What you what the rest of the week you would consider prime time. You know, eight to ten. Mm-hmm. On Friday, that's just called the death slot. Yeah, because nobody's home. Yeah, and. 
I think it used to be that I was reading about it, like the history of the death slot, and it was because there was a time where certain networks had just these powerhouse shows on Friday nights, and so to put it put another show up against those shows was just like death for the show. Mm. Um, but nowadays, it is that people just don't watch TV on Friday and Saturdays, so putting them putting a show on those days is just insane. Yeah. They watch all the shows from Friday, Saturday morning. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't sit at home and watch. I mean, I, I I love Grimm, which is on at nine on Fridays, and you know Constantine that was on at ten. Um, I wouldn't watch. I, I I don't watch either one of them on the night they air. I always watch them the next day on Hulu. Yeah, and I feel like not just NBC, but. TV networks in general are just really behind the curve on that. They really are. Um, you know, more and more people are cutting the cord every day, and cable companies need to figure it out that what people want is a la carte cable. Yeah. That's that's the solution, and I don't know why it's so fucking hard for people to figure that out. I don't I mean, the thing I love about Hulu is limited commercials. Yeah. Um, something that I, I grew up in a household where my dad would mute commercial breaks, thereby disarming and negating any marketing <laughs> that may have gone into those, you know, millions and th- thousands to millions of dollars go into a commercial, uh, you know, production cost and getting, you know, buying time. Um, I mean, you think about like, um, it's the Super Bowl. Companies pay millions and millions of dollars for a 30 second ad. Yeah. Um, they still pay a lot of money just to get a 30-second ad anywhere else in the schedule. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the thing is that, you know, with Hulu, you get, like, two commercials every 10 minutes, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, as opposed to, <coughs> you know, five commercials every five minutes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what uh, TV networks just won't budge on is, like, you know, something on Friday when nobody's watching, they can't sell that ad space because nobody wants it. Well, they also can't sell that ad space when nobody's watching. Exactly. <laughs> um, so. So, yeah, like Tony said, uh, Grimm is on at nine. So instead of being after Grimm, Constantine will now be before Grimm. Right. Which I, I mean, you always hear about how shows that are led in by other p- p- popular shows, um, tend to succeed more. Yeah. But I don't know if that necessarily applies if they're leading in that popular show. I don't know, because then people would have to tune in early as opposed to just sticking around. Right. So we'll see how this goes, if they're able to able to right the ship, or if, uh, if Constantine's going to go the way of Arrested Development. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, you know what? I could see this being a perfect market or, you know, perfect show for Netflix. Yeah? They could really take it to the next level with, you know, them being unrestricted by TV network rules. I could see it. Like, I've never seen it, but just from what I know of, of the Constantine canon, then, yeah, I could definitely believe that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm hoping that, that the this helps and because um, there's, there's two more episodes when it comes back of the 13th. So, I mean, I think we'll know in two weeks, or, you know, 
after the 16th, we'll know in two weeks whether or not it's going to continue or not. All right. Well, if if you're a fan, then uh, you know go online and and tweet hashtag Save Constantine and put a uh, put NBC on it. Yeah. Let them know that you want it. Definitely. Stick around. As has become regular here on the Grave Club Podcast, we've got more uh, Walking Dead Cobalt news. Um, the uh, female lead... Do we... Is that an official title? Or is, there, is that still just a working title? I, I don't know. I think it's just working, but who knows? Because I've seen some articles that say, like, codenamed Cobalt, but then I've seen other articles that just flat out call it Cobalt. So I don't... I yeah, I, I honestly have no idea... Um, I've never heard it called anything but Cobalt, so or, or you know, or the Walking Dead companion series. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the the female lead in it has been cast. Uh, Kim Dickens, um, who you guys would probably know from uh, she she had a regular role in Deadwood, and she was more recently in uh, Gone Girl, which was of course that. Fucking Ben Affleck movie. Um, the dude from that movie with Mork from Mork? <laughs> um, it's believed that she's going to be playing uh, Nancy Tompkins, who, um, when we gave uh, like our kind of rundown of the characters you know, when we first heard about this, uh, we know that she's a single mother raising two uh, presumably teenage kids. Um She's a 30-something, um, and she looks like the girl next door, but there's an edge to her. Of course there is. She's <laughs> always got an edge. Uh, I guess she's a guidance counselor by trade, but I guess probably not anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it was announced before that Frank Delane and Alicia Debnam Carey are going to be playing her children. Uh, I believe her kids, like, the son is... Older, like 17, 18. Something like that, yeah. Something like, yeah, and just really rebellious. And, you know, you know, you know that kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I guess her daughter is playing younger, I think probably maybe 13, 14. I, think, I was going to say like 12 or 13, so yeah, something um, like that. And uh, she's basically like the polar opposite of her brother. Um so, um, yeah, uh, this is just added to, um, obviously her two kids have been cast. Cliff Curtis cast as the lead, but we suspected that he might be playing the character that was like Hispanic or you know Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it appears that a familiar character from the original Walking Dead might be making a return. Uh, if you guys can remember way back in the early episodes of the first season, uh, there's a character named Morales, um, played by Juan Gabriel Perea, or Perea. Um, he is popped up on Cobalt's IMDb page, which is interesting because... Which, if you remember, we called that. Yeah. 
we talked about he just, how he just kind of disappeared. Well, I think you would say because I I thought he died. Yeah, you I, were wrong. I, I, I guess I was wrong. Um, Dead wrong. <laughs> uh, so this is interesting because while people can edit pages or you know people can create IMDb pages for practically anything. Um, the fact that he has made or he has stayed on their casting page um, for so long, I mean, he's still on there several weeks later, uh, leads us to believe that he's actually going to be in the show. Well, and we did hear from Robert Kirkman that there would be some crossover of characters. It's true. Um, although, the, I mean, his casting and, you know, his return or I don't, I don't know if he's going to be a regular character or what, but it hasn't been officially announced. Right. Which, you know, obviously makes us a little suspect of of this news. So um, you can take this with a grain of salt um, because it, it may not come to pass. But uh, if it does, then we'll almost, I assume, very soon have our first crossover in, in the new series. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I remember when Kirkman was asked about it, he said something like, None of the the core cast will be crossing over. It's like that doesn't really answer the question because I don't consider Morales part of the core cast, right? Um, so, well, the, yeah, the days are just ticking down on when this will start up, and uh, we're, we will continue to keep an eye on it. <laughs> Listeners of the show, no. Sorry, I just got tired of hunching over my mic. Go ahead. Okay, may I, I, I can proceed. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Regular listeners of the show know that one of, if not the number one movie in me and Tony's mind, is Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and it, it turns out that. As of October of last year, there is a Shaun of the Dead live stage show. It ran for a month, and it will be resuming in April of this year. Right. Um, The director, Chaz Burns, says, It's not a musical. Between you and I, I can't abide musicals. It's a production with tongue-in-cheek songs with some extra stuff thrown in you won't see in the film and deleted scenes that were left on the cutting room floor. I have always stated that if I ever see anyone yawning at one of our productions, I will call it a day. It's incredible the interest we've had. People have been waiting for it to happen, and we've been lucky enough to find ourselves with the rights. Yes, this is exciting. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it only it's only in the UK right now. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. But as he said, they do own the rights, and they received the blessing of Sean Riley himself, Mr. Right. Simon Pegg. Uh, ticket holders are given a goodie bag of props that they need to take part in the fun. Audience members are also encouraged to dress as zombies or other characters from the film. I want to know what's in those goodie bags. Yeah, like, do you get to, like, shoot zombies or... I don't know. I mean, is it like a Cornetto in it, maybe? <laughs> um, so, I, I, I like that this isn't a musical. That makes me happy because I fucking hate musicals. Yeah. 
He does say there's there's songs in it. Yeah, songs from the from the. Um, or well, actually, you're right. But he says they're tongue in cheek. What the hell does that mean? I don't know. And how does that make it not a musical? I. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I didn't read that clear clearly enough. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I know there's going to be music from the movie in it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure we'll get our healthy dose of Don't Stop Me Now. and The gonk. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, the Blue Wrath. Um, there is a possibility of this expanding worldwide. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that obviously hasn't been confirmed yet, but I know that uh, if it does, you and I are going to be the first in line. Did you see the poster for this? No. Uh, For some reason, Ed wears a hat when he's wearing a orange ball, like backwards ball cap. That's weird. Yeah. And something about uh, Liz... She, she she looks like she's clearly wearing a wig, and she looks like she's like in her forties maybe. I don't know. It just looked weird. But Sean doesn't look like Simon Pegg, but you know, he's got the costume. He's got the red hair. It's about as close as you're gonna get. Yeah, that's really all you can ask for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is gonna be exciting uh and all you uk listeners i would highly suggest that you uh look out for this and let me pull up the website here okay so i can't find the official website but it looks like you can go to uh chortle that's G or that's a, that's a letter uh dot uk uh slash shows slash theater slash s slash two three four five seven slash Sean of the dead live with underscores in between each word I was gonna remember that shit <laughs> we'll put it on the web page go to fucking google and type in Sean of the dead musical yeah I guess you could do that what was that my okay google popped up oh there it goes again <laughs> not now see my iphone only does that when it's plugged in which is nice Unless you wanted to do it right now, then you couldn't. But I don't want to do it right now. But if you did. But I don't. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so go to that website, and it, it has all the dates, and looks like you can, uh, their, their tickets are available. Um, looks like it's fairly cheap. 15 pounds. 15 I quid. I that is. Um, I think a pound is... Google. Okay, Google. How much is 25 pounds in U.S. dollars? 15. Oh. 25 British pounds equals 38 United States dollars and 32 cents. Okay, Google. How much is 15 pounds in U.S. dollars? 15 British pounds equals 22 United States dollars and 99 cents. So I'll say $23. So, yeah, I mean, it's not too bad. No, not bad at all. Anyway, uh, yeah, if that interests you, go check it out. And um, and send us a review. Yeah, if you go, definitely tell us how, how it went. Uh, and yeah. And yeah, that's it for horror business. Sure is. Again, it's short. It's almost an hour. Hmm? We're almost an hour. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll be damned. 
All right. Well, um, so I guess before we jump into our reviews, uh, as I mentioned before, we did do an interview with Tristan Risk, uh, which was fun and exciting for everyone. I don't know. Maybe not her. <laughs> <laughs> she seemed to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, anyways, she, she's a, she's fun. Yeah, she was, she was real nice, a real pleasure to talk to. So uh, let's go uh, check that out. I've been a whole lot Hey guys, you're Hero Skeletoni and Taylor of Terror, and we have a very special guest on the show today. You will know her from roles in American Mary and Call Girl and several upcoming movies. Uh, we're here with Tristan Risk. Hey, Tristan. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. How about yourself? No, uh, no worries. No complaints about anything. I've got uh, my turkey hangover is beat. Um, <laughs> I think I've metabolized it now, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready to be go back to uh, the normal life, pre Christmas life at right. this point. <laughs> yeah. How are you guys doing? Have you have you managed to weather that storm as well? Are you okay? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, we, we both had to work today, so I think we yeah. we took it rather <laughs> oh. easy, but. Oh, Boxing Day. Ew, no. <laughs> well, we're Americans, so we don't know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> what is this Boxing Day? She's a strange Canadian woman. Um, yeah, we, well, I, I don't know about Taylor, but I had a kind of a, my, my night took a nosedive last night, so I'm a little uh, worn out right now, so. <laughs> um but you poor thing. Well, let's get those sass levels up. <laughs> we, will, we will do our best to, to get this gentleman's sass levels up by the end of the program. <laughs> it's not hard to do with him. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very sassy already. <laughs> <laughs> High levels of sass already. Good oh, to yeah. know. <laughs> so you had a good Christmas then? I did. I, uh, I wound up going out and seeing some family that I didn't really have any intention of doing. I actually had every intention of staying home and doing mushrooms, actually. I just watched- <laughs> Christmas specials, but uh, they they said if you're interested in coming out, and I said I like free turkey and annoying your pets. So yeah, let's do that. So sure. uh, that was my Christmas. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll just uh, jump into things here. Sure. Um, so I guess uh, just to start off with, uh, why don't you just uh, maybe tell us a little about a little bit about yourself? I mean, I think uh, as far as who you are we probably know all know that you're canadian <laughs> well we know i'm canadian now anyway right. um uh, i am primarily a burlesque dancer and sideshow performer as well as now making the foray into acting um on film mm-hmm. and i'm very excited about that and come the new year i will be further exploring the medium of film as a voice for an animated series um, called Chainsaw Sally. And I'll also be potentially directing my very first short film. So there's a lot of new new hats to be worn by this head, I feel. Bitchin'. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned that you're a you're, uh, burlesque dancer and uh, you know model. How, how'd you get into that? Where'd that, where'd that start up? Well, the burlesque dancing kind of happened by accident. It wasn't really an intended thing. I had done um, a routine at the behest of one of my friends for her boyfriend's birthday party, (laughs) mostly to embarrass him. And, of course, the more I knew it was going to embarrass him, the campier it got. And it got pretty (laughs) fucking campy by the end of it. But I'm I'm guessing that he must have liked it because he had a band and he'd asked me if I was willing 
for his band uh, the following weekend. And I said yes. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. I uh, I never really looked back from that point <laughs> on. I uh, I finished my training as a veterinary assistant and then said, well, okay, I can do that. Fuck it. I'm going on the road as a, a stripper slash uh, a performance artist with this band. And that's what I did for six years. So uh, that mostly got me into trouble, kept me out of a little bit of, I mean, it's debatable, really. It's all de- <laughs> dependent on what you call trouble. But my lifestyle choice has always made uh, for very interesting storytelling, I find. And now um, in the last two years, I've started doing film. And it was, again, the burlesque that got me in there uh, because I was supposed to be the dance coordinator for American Mary. And uh, yeah, that's how that happened. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so what what... So I guess acting was that something that you wanted to pursue, or I mean, did you just kind of? I mean, you said you essentially just fell into your role at, in American Mary, um, but I mean, was that something you did, ever desired to do, or is it just kind of happened? Well, I uh, I had done lots of musical theater and theater um, prior to Mary. Mm-hmm. And I was always interested in getting involved in film. Like I'd done French short films and I had done their music videos and I enjoyed it. But I'd never really seriously thought about committing to doing uh, film work um, other than outside specialty stuff for extras, of which there's lots of employment for that in Vancouver. Um, And then I got the opportunity to. And once I did and I did marry, I was like, oh, I kind of don't suck at this. And I... And I and I enjoy it, and uh, so I figured, well, you know, if something comes up again, then I'll I'll see about it. But you know, I wasn't really in a place to really pursue it that much. And then um, I, the next project I got approached about was Astron Six's film, The Editor. And after I filmed that, it was like it was a solid thing um, from that moment on. Consistently doing uh, films, short films, and, and features. And I really like it. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it right now. It's a lot of fun, and it's really fun to get to work with these different people um, mm-hmm. and all their, uh, their different visions and stuff, too. And now I feel like I'm kind of the uh, the binding factor between a lot of different groups, like between Jill Six and between the Soskas and between Astron Six, I'm, uh, like, you know, myself. And to a certain extent, Lauren Har- Lawrence Harvey, we're all kind of like the, the tenuous tentacles that keep everybody connected to each other. And I kind of like being that... Uh, that connective tissue between all these different crazy twisted art- artistic minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, it's a good place to be too because it kind of makes you indispensable. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's in- that only until they get the, the clones up and running, really. But... Sure, sure. <laughs> so, growing up, did you watch a lot of horror movies, or I did. I read a lot of horror books, um, but when I got into horror. Movies. I'd already been into uh, high fantasy and uh, science fiction, but I started to get into the horror stuff more and more, and it kind of turned into this thing where it's like, well, you know, I don't really like any of the other kids in my neighborhood. I'm going to watch all the scariest stuff and be the authority on all the scary things to scare the other kids with, because it's like, if you guys are going to be assholes to me, then, you know, I should at least be able to tell you an effective ghost story that will scare the fuck out of you. <laughs> and so that is what I did. <laughs> so what kind of stuff did you watch? Um, I think my, the first one I can never remember watching, and it's this is uh, going to haunt me. Um, was I was watching Thriller a lot when I was a re- when I was really little, and I was obsessed with it. Like I was scared. My mom was like, "You were scared of it, but you were like just totally fascinated by it at the same time." Especially when the zombies start to dance, and I guess my thinking was that you know you don't really need to outrun a zombie; you just need to outdance it. But <laughs> I still feel very strongly about that to this day. 
Um, so I was really into the th- the thriller, and I really like Jaws a lot. Um, I I was just fascinated by sharks in the water as a little kid, and but I finally got to see Jaws. It was just like someone had like just lit a light onto my head, and it was fantastic. And I remember watching Disney's Watcher in the Woods when I was really little and having it really fuck me up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, my mom was mortified that I was watching it because I'd gotten our cassette tapes mixed up when she rented us movies. She thought I was watching my cartoon, and she came down, and she's, I'm watching the thing she meant to watch for herself. And um, <laughs> But I needed to watch it to the end because I needed closure. I needed to see how it ended. Otherwise, <laughs> I would have never slept again. I'd probably have still not slept to this day. And... Uh, that was kind of like my little taste of uh, of horror and what it what watching horror films was like, and then kind of trying to find the scariest thing on Sunday afternoons we could get away with watching at our friend's house that our parents weren't going to like get us in trouble for. It was also kind of a favorite pastime too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we get so many people say you know like oh John Carpenter, or, uh, you know all these movies. <laughs> I think you're the first one to say thriller. my mom actually tells me that when i was little and i I saw that the part in the very beginning where he turns into the cat creature she said that uh i had i had done this thing where she thought i was straining and she couldn't understand what i was doing until she figured out i was trying to turn into a cat creature as well (laughs) and then i bit her on the ankle and the achilles tendon um and after that i had to watch the video anymore if i was gonna bite people so yeah (laughs) Uh, if your small child starts doing that, then you know she's going to grow up to be a horror actress later in life. <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that to you on that level. It's like I remember um, back before the days of you know YouTube and stuff, where videos were just readily accessible. You know, I had to wait till the Halloween season to watch Thriller on VH1, mm-hmm. and I just would just just sit on VH1 and wait for it to come on again. <laughs> it's but, like, I can't get up to go to the bathroom. Cause if I do, that's when they're going to play it. And I'm not exactly. Busy. Yeah. <laughs> and that was John Landis directed that, uh, from American werewolf in, in pair in uh, London. Oh, yeah. And then also, um, uh, Rick Baker, who had done all the effects for, uh, American werewolf also did lots of the effects. So you see a lot of the similar things that happen in both American werewolf and thriller are a lot of the same gags for sure. Just, yeah. Yeah, all the useless information you need to know about trivia in case it comes up one day. <laughs> I know. I don't know I, maybe a crossword puzzle or something. The more you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> I'm a bit of a social. Uh, I'm a bit of a uh, special effects nut, so I know I bother Taylor sometimes with it. So <laughs> he's a nerd. <laughs> no, I love the practical effects, man. And Rick Baker's one of the last kings left. Oh, definitely. I swear by that guy's work. Um, yeah. So. Uh, um, so, <laughs> talking about American Mary a little bit, how did you hook up with the Saskas? So there's a funny story there. <laughs> um, I had been to see Dead Hooker in a Trunk when it was being screened at the Rio Theater in East Van. And this was the first time they had screened uh, Dead Hooker in Vancouver. And <coughs> Excuse me. And I had never seen it before. I didn't even know the sauce because I didn't know what it was about. But I had um, my friend and I had decided we were going to go out and see a movie. It's like it doesn't matter what. It's about spending time together. It's not about the movie itself. And I'm like, okay, what night are we going? She's like, okay, we're going to like, great. Sounds awesome. What's playing? 
dead hooker in a trunk. <laughs> How can this be anything other than awesome? Let's go. <laughs> so we went and watched it, and it's this wonderful grindhouse movie that I totally didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect that. It was amazing. And then there's this one part where uh, Jen, a.k.a. Geek's eyeball, pops out. And I've always had a, a bit of a weak stomach for anything where an eyeball comes out from the thing that happened when I was a kid. So um, I had this big drink cup in my lap and I'd been I had a monster energy drink before I went into the theater which is unusual for me back then but I wasn't expecting that and I barfed into the cup in my lap (laughs) and afterwards I found the girls I'm like just so you know no one's ever made me barf like that in the theater I didn't think I could I still had any decent revulsion left in me (laughs) and they and I have a mutual friend, Kevin Mental of uh, Fake Shark Rail Zombie, and he had been telling them, "Oh, you got to work with this girl. You know, she's really cool." Blah blah blah. And they're like, "Uh huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll put that suggestion on the pile, dude. It's cool." Um, but then we started all kind of uh, online stalking each other. And then when they went to do Mary, they're like, "Would you be interested in reading the script?" And I said, "Yes, I would love to." Because I said, anything you guys need, if it's in my power to help you out with uh, in the future, please let me know because, like, I love what you do. And so I uh, I got the script from them and I read it and it was amazing. And they were like, yeah, would you be interested in coming on as dance coordinator? And I said, I would love to. And then the first time I met them face to face and had a meeting with them was our first meeting about the dance coordination. And they, they said, yeah, you know, it's too bad you don't act. I'm like, well, I act. And they're like... It's too bad you don't do voices. And I'm like, well, I do voices. I do voices all the time. And they're like, huh. Well, we know you can dance. Do you want to come in and read for Beatrice? And I totally wanted to after they said that. So it was pretty amazing to have that kind of just fall into my lap like that. But I I went to two different auditions, and they were both pretty intense. Like, I think in one of them, I, I did the lines. I stripped. I sang. Um, you know, I did just about everything I could to try to secure that role. I'm like, I will mud wrestle this at this point. Like, <laughs> I am this serious. <laughs> so um, that was my first meeting with the Saskas, and we've been pretty close ever since. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we saw well, you, um, you, them, and uh, and Jessica Cameron uh, at uh, Crypticon here in Seattle, and you uh, like before then we didn't even know you guys were all like buddy buddy so it was just it was <laughs> we're just blown away by the fact that you guys were all just hanging out hanging out in your own little canadian corner <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like the small version of the canadian embassy in that corner room. <laughs> um so i mean you said you're you're pretty close to them now i mean we like we talked to them there at crypticon and they're just really just awesome ladies and just real sweethearts i mean in, in a macabre way but <laughs> um but, but they're still the two kindest people you'll ever meet like once they take two they'll they'll put bury someone in their neck up to an anthill and smother their face in honey for you they like when they have love they have mad love mm-hmm. yeah they just seem like real sweethearts and uh so i mean what was it like working with them even at a, at a point where you didn't really know them all that well <laughs> it was really great working with them and honestly it's unfair because they've set the bar for every other director I've ever worked with since then because it's been it was being directed by my two best friends and I I wasn't expecting that when I got involved I was just like oh I get along with these girls so great and I really feel like that helped in uh, what they were getting out of me um, in term in front of the camera and I just I it was easy like it, that was the best part it was easy they didn't have to try to like to explain things to me and I got what they were saying right away. So it just, it was just, 
it was being spoiled. And it was the same with ABCs of Death, too, where they only they said, can you do it kind of like this? And I'm like, oh, you mean like this? And they're like, yeah, just <laughs> like that. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> it's kind of dangerous because you get used to the, the positive reinforcement when you do something right as an actor. So and they know exactly like that fine line that I need to walk between. Positive reinforcement and okay, you're you're overdoing it. You're coming on too thick. <laughs> right. Um, so you kind of explained how you got the role of Beatrice, but uh, how'd you how'd you develop that? I mean, like, I guess how much of Beatrice was you, and how much of it was just a character? Um, I borrowed very heavily from the Ellen Green school of of body language and and, and vocalization. Um, Ellen Green being Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors, the film in 1986. Sure. And um, I, I, the other person that I was borrowing pretty heavily from at that point was Madonna during her Who's That Girl phase. Because if you watch Who's That Girl, you're going to see a lot of Beatrice in that. Mm. Like, a lot. And uh, it's kind of an obscure reference, but it's also one of my favorite stupid comedy um, <laughs> romance things from the 80s. Because I'm like, they just got a bunch of stuff, I'm sure, from production and just wrote a story around it and then got Madonna to star in it. And I'm like, whatever, it's fucking worse for me. <laughs> Uh, that cute little Brooklyn accent that she talked to before she kind of forgot that she's from the states and not British, but whatever. <laughs> I don't judge. I don't judge. <laughs> uh, so I mean, that makeup. I mean, before I actually saw a picture of you without the makeup on, like I would never have guessed that you were the, the same person as we. <laughs> the first time I saw you without makeup, I was like, no, that's not the same girl. That's not. That's that can't, can't be right. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, obviously that makeup was very enveloping, uh, and really changed your whole get up. I mean, really, uh, so, I mean, how cumbersome was that? I mean, how, how long did, how long were you in the chair every day and how, uh, irritating was it to have on? (laughs) (laughs) It really, it wasn't that irritating. Um, I was first on set when I was on set getting my makeup done, but but the people at Masters Effects, the two um, artists, uh, Lori and Amelia, they had the hard part of putting it on in the morning and then taking it off at night. Like I just had to sit there and not scooch around too much. Um, A lot of that was my actual face, as a matter of fact, because the Saskas had warned them, you know, there's going to be people who are actual body mods on this set and we don't want you speaking to or about them in any kind of negative way. And if you are, you're off this set. So a lot of people just assumed because they didn't see me come in first thing in the morning because I was in the chair right away that by the time I got to set that that was just my face and what it looked like. And everyone was like, but, you know, (laughs) people like Beatrice. And it was really fun to play up the character a lot even when I wasn't in front of the camera um, and just having fun with it. So I, I think that people just kind of like overlooked it and was like, oh yeah, she's kind of cute. And then they'd see me walking around on set when I didn't have it on. They'd be like, who the hell is this? And they're like, that's Tristan. They're like, who's Tristan? They're like, Beatrice? They're like, that's what her face looks like? <laughs> yeah, guys, that's what the face looks like. For real. I can remember we when... We that quite a bit too at uh, when we were doing uh, red carpet events and festivals too was uh, people be like, okay, there's Catherine Isabel. They're the Saskas. What the fuck is that other bitch with <laughs> Out of the shot, uh, please, ma'am. <laughs> I don't know. She's she's twerking for the camera, so she's, whoever she is, she's cool. Um, I found the makeup, though, working with it. I, I love the idea of doing mask work in theater, and I felt that that was just kind of like a translation to that as well. And um, I found that 
because coming from a dance background, I naturally am a little bit more body conscious or body movement ready than most actors or actresses are, that a lot of what Beatrice was saying was coming out in in her voice, but also in her body movements too. And I think that combined with the face kind of was what sold the whole package at the end of the day. If I just stood there like stock still giving the lines with the face, I don't think it would have been quite as effective, but Mm. it was a really fun character to play. And once you kind of started to get into it, like it was really easy to just kind of keep going with it. And even now when I've had too many drinks, I totally get go into Beatrice mode, which is really (laughs) easy for telling off doormen and bouncers and bar staff if they cross you. Because telling someone off is a lot cuter when you do it like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know that uh, when we were reviewing the, the the movie we were on our show, uh, God, several months ago, um, Taylor, like, mentioned that, or mentioned, you know, the character of Beatrice, and he's, you know, that's a really wacky weird face and you know now I'm going to feel like an asshole because that's probably what she's going to end up looking like (laughs) Um, but yeah I mean just to actually meet you in person and then obviously see the character of Beatrice uh, yeah the way you change your whole I mean the way you the way you walk and the way you present yourself and just that whole difference is really impressive and really uh, further you know did the separation between you and Beatrice just as two different people so (laughs) <laughs> She's my alter ego, I think. <laughs> um, so did you, I mean, obviously the character was crazy, in, uh, like, in, influenced by um, Betty Boop. I mean, did you draw any inspiration from that at all, or just mainly Ellen Green? Um, uh, it was it was a little bit of both, really. Like, mm. it's, uh, is there a cat over there? <laughs> uh, it's his dog. Yeah. Oh, what kind of dog is it over there? Uh, she's a lab shepherd mix. Oh, what a cutie! Sorry, I've been distracted by everybody the past few days because I'm like, oh, is the kitty and the little antlers? Oh, is the bogey in the Santa hat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I've totally my train of thought got totally derailed. Where was I? Uh, let's see. I, I yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, Tony had asked you how much influence you drew from Betty Boop. Right, that's what it was. <laughs> okay, I. I I had quite a bit of uh, influence from her, um, the old school Betty Boop, and then just kind of adding my my new thematic elements in with the uh, with Ellen Green and uh, Madonna. But I had a collection of Betty Boop cartoons, and uh, I remember the Soskas and I watching it and just kind of like taking notes on them a little bit, especially for some of the dialogue, like "What's the matter, Daddy?" <laughs> which actually got cut from the original film, but is in maybe I don't know if the if it ever gets released, if that is going to be one of the deleted scenes that comes out. But, uh, yeah, I was running around saying that a lot on set, much to everybody's annoyance, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then it winds up, winds up not even getting used. But it was one of the original, like, uh, Betty Boop lines. And then there's another reference to Jippo, which is Betty Boop's kind of like snake oil from one cartoon that she refers to, uh, that, she, that uh, my niece refers to in the vet scene where she's like, I bet there's already some Jippo in your purse, which is what they're. Casually referring to co- the cocaine as right. <laughs> uh, so you talked about uh, working with actual members of, of the body mod community. Uh, what was that like? I mean, you know, what was? I mean, were you thrown at all? I mean, obviously, you have you, you, being you know part of burlesque. You're probably surrounded by some pretty interesting people. But as far as actual like real body mod people, some pretty. Tell us about Penis Guy. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to think about that at all, man. 
Rust Fox was actually our on-set uh, flesh artist cons- uh, um, consultant uh, just because he performs many body modifications himself and he also wears many of them as well. So whenever the Saskas had a question about body modification, they would go to him um, and kind of say, you know, how realistic is this? Is this something that's common? Um, and so there's a lot of scenes throughout where there are photos of actual people with body, like legit body modifications and then just, you know, other things that are uh, prosthetics. And um, I loved having them on set. I mean, I knew quite a few of them from from before, but it was really cool to uh, to be involved in a project with them and be like, "Hey, we all made this movie together. It's so cool." Um, and it's funny to see some of them now because from when they had their their last mods done when they were shot married to now, some of them have even evolved their appearance even more since then, which is really kind of cool to see. Awesome. Um. Before we jump off American Mary, we have a, a question from Twitter. Um, Alfredo Massin wants to know, have you and the Saskas ever talked about a possible Beatrice origin movie? I don't know about origin movie, but we've certainly talked about where Beatrice came from and just kind of who's the girl who turned into that, um, into that little dancer doll and... Uh, kind of where did she come from and what's her background and what's her story and I know that the uh, the Saskas would be always interested um, in doing other films about the other characters in Mary like uh, one about Dr. Black um, who was the one of the surgeons at the party and like let's just follow that guy around for a little bit and see what's going on there and you know something like American Doll where it follows Ruby around and it gives her like more insight into her life so I don't think that they're against doing it. I just don't know if uh, that's going to be their focus anytime soon because they've still got so many other awesome projects on the horizon, like Painkiller Jane and Bob, and uh, as well they've got uh, Vendetta coming out in 2014. Of course, you guys have seen See No Evil too, right? Yeah, yeah, we just reviewed that recently, actually. I really enjoyed that movie a lot. So, uh, what... what... <laughs> <laughs> What, I haven't read your review, so I don't know if you hate it or not. So I'm uh, just like, like you love. It. We we definitely didn't hate it. No, it, we. Yeah. I think what we both agreed on was that we loved the way it was directed, um, and the way it was shot, but just the story itself was just kind of meh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, that was the best compliments you could give. <laughs> I think we both had really high expectations too, which might have we might have overshot ourselves. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, neither of us liked the first one, like, at all. <laughs> well, I didn't even... I had never seen the first one. I've only ever seen the second one, so... Mm, okay. Well, so, yeah, you guys... I guess you didn't have that bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I never... I was just like, oh, my friend's directed a really cool, pretty-looking um, slasher flick. Neat! I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... It was... Great. Don't change a thing. There's a first... There was a first one. I don't give a fuck about the first one. So that's just that's uh yeah. I I kind of missed the boat on the first one. So maybe if I'd seen the first one, it might have put me off a little bit. But. You didn't miss much. Yeah. <laughs> oh you. Yeah, I mean, like the first one was definitely a cash grab by WWE. It was sad, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, anyways, what do you got working on now? We know you you just finished with Mania with Jessica Cameron. What else you got? Um, I just came back from uh, Ireland working with Patty Murphy and the Spade Lion Boys on a short film called Ground Floor, where I, uh, I'm, I'm forced to face up to my character's uh, sins that she might not have considered as such. But, you know, in a biblical sense, yeah, she kind of fucked up a little bit. <clears throat> 
and uh, I'm heading to New Zealand for a rest to do some writing on a few other projects. But then when I come back, I'll be voicing a character named Miss Risk on Chainsaw Sally, the animated television show. And uh, there's also Todd Freeman loves it coming up this year which is a, a feature film with uh, Bill Mosley and um, Francisco Barrio and also Barbara Crampton which I'm very excited about and um, yeah so I've got a couple irons in the fire I'm very excited about that House of Manson is doing the uh, the festival circuit right now so that should be released shortly I believe and uh, here's hoping and hopefully the editor finds distribution for 2015 too so more people can get a little more giallo in their diet Nice. Uh, which you tell us about uh, Save Yourself? I mean, I know it's something that I'm really interested in personally, and I, it feels like it, it's kind of not hear, really hearing much news about it lately. Um, that's just because uh, Ryan M. Andrews, the director from that, has just put out um, Six Survive the Night, which is uh, one of his features, and he was working on um, on Save Yourself in post while that was just getting wrapped up. So he's been working really, really hard lately. So we're going to see Save Yourself in 2015. I really enjoyed shooting that. I've never spent any length of time in Toronto, particularly in uh, rural parts of Ontario. So that was really fun to come together with a lot of the uh, the Toronto folks and talent out that way and get a chance to know them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really talented Canadian actors and production folks out that way. I'm... I'm very impressed, and that was a lot of fun. That was kind of uh, the girls on a road trip. Uh, they go off the road, and they run into this mad scientist and the, just the uh, all the, the problems that they run into and, you know, finding out who's going to be the final girl in that one is always entertaining because it's not quite who you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember just reading the first synopsis about that. I mean, basically what you just explained, and I'm just like, that sounds so just wacky it off the wall i I gotta see it (laughs) so yeah i really i enjoyed playing that role um because i got to be a a female director in it and uh so i was trying to channel a little a few of my friends in that so i'm hoping that it reads as such and not uh and not that i'm making fun of them in any kind of capacity (laughs) (laughs) um you mentioned chainsaw sally i read recently that they're working on a, a live action adaptation of that are you involved in that at all I'm not involved with that one. There's actually been a, a Chainsaw Sally live-action television show for a while now, and then there's also another film starring April O'Burl, a.k.a. Chainsaw Sally, called The Good Sisters, and they just recently got a distribution deal, um, which is going to allow them to go forth with that as well as the animated series, which I'm really pumped about because, honestly, who doesn't want to be a cartoon these days? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, Especially blush- one named after yourself. No doubt. Well, uh, it's it's kind of cool to have this uh, this character that's named for me, based on me. And then they're like, do you want to voice it? I'm like, let me put it this way. If you had anyone else voicing that girl, I'd have to cut her. So, <laughs> yes, I would like to voice that character, please and thank you. She's kind of Sally's nemesis slash part-time lover. That's kind of a Catwoman Batman thing going on there. Uh, cool. Um, so I think maybe we'll just kind of wrap things up here, but I think... Uh, wondering if maybe you had any like kind of crazy stories from this from the set or just you know doing doing cons lately or anything like that because we did hear about you guys uh breaking into hot tubs while you were here for crypticon <laughs> yeah uh, was, there, was there any footage of that because unless there is you guys can't prove nothing <laughs> <laughs> well you might want to talk to jessica about that then <laughs> uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's uh, until they've got some proof, then uh, my cover is not yet blown. <laughs> um, no, no, there's uh, like I'm trying to think of anything that's uh, particularly funny or hilarious um, that's happened. Uh, well, maybe this. We were filming Desolation um, with Ryan and Andrews directing in uh, throughout California, New Mexico, Arizona, um, part of Connecticut, or uh, Ohio, my bad. And uh, and so at one point uh, on our one of our first days of filming, we're filming at Roy's Diner on Route 66, and it's a night shoot. And uh, I'm doing this line, and I'm just finishing up. And then as soon as Ryan yells "cut," Jessica screams her fucking head off, and I'm like, "Well, that's weird." <laughs> and she comes running into the bathroom where the outdoor bathroom where we're filming, and I'm like, "What's going on?" So we go outside. And there's a wild tarantula there. Now, I don't know how well you know Jessica, but Jessica does not do well with our eight-legged little furry buddies. And, and so she screamed, and it probably scared the fuck out of the spider, because Lord knows it doesn't know what was making that noise. It's like, Jesus Christ, I just came to eat some crickets. Um, so the best part was that the tarantula just kind of, like, boogied along and, like, walked along, as tarantulas do. And it went into this porta potty that was like just kind of like next to the the washrooms and all I could think is huh if anybody goes in there they're pretty much going to do exactly what they went in there to do just maybe not in the way that they thought because <laughs> I mean I, I'm, I'm fond of tarantulas now but if I saw one that I didn't expect particularly when I had to do that I it might not go well <laughs> <laughs> alright cool well uh, I think uh, we'll keep you too much longer here uh uh, but uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show and talking to us. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. You uh, want to go ahead and plug your uh, your social networks and whatnots? My, all of my social media. <laughs> well, you can always find me um, on my website. I blog on the regular at littlemissrisk.ca, and I try to post as many interesting photos that are not Facebook-friendly as possible there. <laughs> you can also find me posting not friendly facebook friendly photos on twitter uh and it's at little miss risk and that's the same for my instagram too which is more cute animals and food that i find that i'm about to eat and uh you can find me on facebook at facebook.com slash tristan.risk or little miss risk as a page um come and find me and i will find you back (laughs) that sounds creepy (laughs) (laughs) i'll find you back All right, That's cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Tristan. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to you. And, uh, oh wish you thanks the... for rearranging the world to make this happen for me, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, our pleasure. Anytime. Uh, so uh, good luck to you in the future. Hope to see a lot more from you. Awesome. And let me know when this is up, and I'll uh, post it all over the place. We will Will-do. do that. Ruby. All right, have a good night, guys. Merry belated Christmas. <laughs> you too. Happy Boxing Day. <laughs> Yay, happy Boxing Day. <laughs> All right. Ciao. Take care. Bye. I got that grave plot. I got that grave plot. I got that grave plot. It's right off the highway. Wobbledy, wobbledy, drop into my grave plot. You afraid of death? Well, I'm afraid not. Because I got the bomb spot right off the highway. I did it my way. A very small percent of the time. So that was fun. Good times had by all. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, if you want to check her out, uh, she, she gave uh, all of her social media and her website and all that. So go check out uh, Tristan Risk and follow her work. Yes. Yes. Do it. 
Do it now. No, not now. Wait till the episode's over, then do it. Right. I mean, unless you can do both at once. Maybe. Most computers you can do that. Yeah. Just open a new tab. Sure, sure, sure. <clears throat> okay, um, so now. Without further ado do. Boop. On to the reviews. What would you like to start with, sir? Um, I don't know. Do you have a preference? Not particularly. Okay. Uh, I guess we could start with Tusk. Always do sober what you do drunk. That'll teach you to keep your mouth shut. Hemingway said that. Yes, he did. And he said it to me. To go to Canada tomorrow for the podcast. It's what I do. I travel around and I interview weird or interesting people. So look out, you crazy Canucks! Wandering Wallace <laughs> takes a raunchy road trip up to the Great White North. Hello, I'm an old man who has enjoyed a long and storied life at sea, and after eons of oceanic adventure, I know I do not wish to spend my remaining years alone while I have such stories to share. How far is Bifrost from here? It's about two hours from here. It's about two hours away. I hate American guys. Good evening. It's nice to meet you. Could I interest you in some tea? So what happened after the boat sank? I was alone. And then something very swift and frightening moved by me. A walrus saved your life? The walrus is far more evolved than any man I've heard of. Present company included. Thank you. You're welcome. Would you? Would you? There, there. It'll be all right, Mr. Tuff. He hasn't called me in three days. I'm worried. Why are you doing this? Are you really mourning your humanity? I don't understand. Who in the hell would want to be human? Margaritas. <laughs> yeah, so this movie we've talked about for a while for a while, like basically since its inception. Like when they first announced that they were gonna make it. So I mean this, this has been a long time coming, this review. Um and what Taylor was just singing was probably the best ringtone I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um so let's just give it a listen here. Come on now, more margaritas. 
So yeah, th- both Justin Long and Haley Joel Osment both had that ringtone, and I think I laughed my ass off every time one of their phones <laughs> rang. Um, <clears throat> the best part about it was like with the first time you heard it was a s- super dramatic moment. Yeah, and you're just like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is a story of a podcaster named Wallace. Which, uh, do you think that was a coincidence? No. (laughs) (laughs) He was called, uh, yeah, they call him Wally. Colloquially. Colloquially. That's a word. Colloquially. Colloquially. God God damn it. I always hate it when I find words that I can't say. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you you find them on the podcast. That's the best part. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so yeah. Um... (laughs) Wallace, played by Justin Long, and Teddy, played by Haley Joel Osment. That's right, the kid from The Sixth Sense, who got... <laughs> He's he, back! He, he grew up and he got fat. <laughs> and he it's funny seeing him with a beard, because he looks the same. He still looks like the kid from The Sixth Sense. Except yeah, he does. chubby face and a beard. And a pube beard. Right. Um, they are podcasters. Uh, they host the Nazi party. That's <laughs> spell it, spell it. <laughs> uh, that's N O T hyphen S E E party, uh, named as such because Wallace goes on these adventures around the world, and then he comes back and tells them to Teddy, who has not seen them. Right, um, and it all starts. The, the whole thing starts because Wally finds a video online of, or no, I guess he's sent a video mm-hmm. um, by his kid who calls himself the Kill, Kill Bill Kid. And it's very reminiscent of uh, the Star Wars Kid, where he has, instead of a fake lightsaber, which like a broomstick or whatever it was, um, he has an actual katana. <laughs> and he's swinging it around and doing all these really poorly executed, I don't know, I can't even call them like, real moves or techniques. It's just basically swinging the sword around. Yeah. Um, and don't, don't say what happens to him. I, I don't think we should spoil that. Okay. Well, uh, he goes to Canada to meet this kid and interview him because his video has something like 30 million votes it's or ridiculous, uh, views yeah. like that. Um, so he goes to Manitoba to interview this kid. And when he arrives, he finds that he can't, <laughs> um, and uh, so while he's just trying to salvage this trip that he just spent a load of money on, um, he finds an interesting thing in the bathroom of this bar. Uh, an, I think when he's at the bar and he's talking to Teddy and Teddy's like asking him where he is. And he's looking at him and he's like, I'm at a bar. And there's just like this neon H on the wall. And he's like, I'm at H bar. Yeah. <laughs> You just you going on and on about how fucking boring Canada is yeah. and how nothing's going on. Um, but while taking a piss in the bathroom, he finds something on the wall over the urinals. Uh, just this looks like handwritten uh, tear-off flyer uh, a, a, a guy saying that he's spent his, you know, he, he's lived an interesting life, uh, but now he's old and, you know, incapable, and he's offering free room and board to anyone who uh, comes and completes just basic household chores, and 
he will also kind of regale them with the interesting story of his life. And so this catches Wally's interest, and he contacts the guy and makes his way up to this man's home. Um, And I don't know how much of this I can tell without it being a spoiler. I think... Because what I thought was, like, the big giveaway, like, what would have been a spoiler, was still, like, midway through the movie. I mean, I think most people know what the movie is about. Sure. Uh, Yeah, I mean... (laughs) For those of you who don't, basically this man uh, is on a quest <laughs> to turn a, a human being into a walrus uh, because he claims this story of having spent uh, a good amount of time or being rescued at sea by a walrus and dragged to land and spending a good amount of time with this walrus until he was rescued by a passing ship. <clears throat> So it's his ultimate goal to, like I said, turn a man into a walrus. Um, yeah, he wants to basically. Uh, what's the word when you die and then you come back? Reincarnate. Yes, he basically wants to reincarnate this Mister Tusk, right? Which is what he he named the walrus that saved his life, and in, instead of just like trying to go to the zoo and steal a walrus or buy a walrus. Or buy a... He lives in a giant fucking house. Yeah, with like a huge uh, water area. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to be fairly well off. So buy a fucking walrus. Yeah. But no, he he wants to turn a human human being into a walrus and uh, see see if they lose their humanity. Yeah. Um, And so... Wally basically becomes the target for this. Um, he does mean, say at one point that he he believes that all men truly want to be a walrus. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck he gets that. Um, yeah, so I mean, he, he Wally goes to this house and he tells tells him these how he met Ernest Hemingway on a boat. Uh, off off the beach in Normandy. Yeah. Um and just all these wild wild tales and he seems very well spoken and um seems to have an anecdote for like everything. Yeah. <laughs> Which got a little obnoxious. I think if I met somebody like that I'd be like, "Dude, shut up." <laughs> um so uh he feeds him this wine, or not wine, but uh, tea, and passes out and wakes up the next morning. The part where he passes out is hilarious. Yeah, he's like, what did you, you what did you do? He like, tries to stand up and just immediately just falls flat on his face. Yeah, he just face plants so hard, too. And <laughs> like, how did that not hurt? <laughs> um, so... Yeah, he wakes up to find this man slowly changing him into a walrus. And I don't know. Like I said, I think the fact that he completes his goal isn't really a spoiler. I wouldn't say so, no. Um, did did you get that the tusks were made out of his femurs? Um, not until uh, Guy Laporte Le uh, had... Oh, did, that. did he say that? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. He said, because he, <clears throat> uh, 
Wally's well, Wally finally manages to find his phone in this house, which um, Mr. Howe, played by Michael Park, who is incredible. Yeah, really good. Um, like, I mean, I, I saw Red State, and, you know, people would go on and on about how great he was in that, but I just didn't like the movie. I didn't care for the movie, but I do think he was he was fantastic in it. I, I He didn't really stand out to me just because I thought the movie as a whole was pretty dry and really boring, essentially. But in this, he really stood out. Like it was incredible, um, and uh, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Uh, while he finds his phone, yes, in uh, Mister House's house, and um, calls his girlfriend uh, Allie. Hi, hi, hi. Oh yeah, played by uh, Genesis Rodriguez, who if you saw um, Identity Thief. She was one of the thugs, like her and fucking T.I. <laughs> that were that were after um, uh, Jason Bateman. Um, he calls his girlfriend and um, also calls Teddy and tries to tell them what's happening. And I guess just his sheer desperation and just the absolute panic in his voice <laughs> kind of led them to believe that he was probably not joking uh, because they immediately make their way up to Canada and along the way they're trying to find out like where he rented his car if anybody's seen him you know they get up to all these to, to these locations and they find out where his car was rented um, and they actually trace back to a couple different places that he, places that he'd gone to people are basically just shaking their heads and no I haven't seen him um, and they eventually go to the police and uh, the the uh, policeman was played by Ralph Garman, who of course is the co-host of Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith, and that was just like really the first of the Kevin Smith. No, I guess not the first, but the Kevin Smith clan to show up in the movie. Who was the first then? His daughter. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that was before. Okay. Yeah, Harley Quinn Smith plays um, a concession or. Convenience store clerk, along with Lily Rose Depp, right, the daughter of Johnny Depp, who is in the movie. Um, Ralph Garman, although uncredited, right? He 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 shows up as this retired. I don't know. I don't think he is retired. Well, he he, he mentioned that he does not like on the force. Yeah, officially, but I think he's maybe like a private dick or something. Maybe like a monk type character. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, named Guy Lapointe or, or Guy, Guy Lapointe. Lapointe. Guy Lapointe. Um, he speaks with this really sometimes incomprehensible French yeah. accent. Um, and he, goddamn it, look, looks so fucking goofy. He does. He's got this beret on and uh, like a f- goofy, kind of pointy fake nose and <laughs> stupid, um, Fu Manchu. Um, he just looks absolutely ridiculous, almost unrecognizable. Yeah, I mean, if you, I don't, I would almost guess if you didn't know who it was, you wouldn't know right away. It would take, yeah, it would take you a while yeah. to figure it out. Um, and so Allie and Teddy hook up with him and start backtracking and trying to find where Teddy would have shown up. And he basically says, you know, to Allie, where would he have gone? You know, he takes a long road trip to someone's house. 
when he goes on long road trips, what does he do? What what can he not to do a road trip without? And she says, oh, well, he likes to stop at convenience stores and get those big, stupid, oversized drinks. So they go to a convenience store, the one that he had visited earlier in the film. The A to Z? Yeah. <laughs> That's A as in E-H. Um, oh, wait. Um, can we backtrack and talk about Harley Morenstein as the fucking Border Patrol? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it took me, because I, I knew he was in it. But it didn't click with me right away that was him because he doesn't have curly hair, does he? Um, I think he usually pulls it back. Okay. Well, maybe that's why I didn't recognize him because I'd never seen him with curly hair before. Oh. At, at, at first sight, I was like, is that Galifianakis? <laughs> <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, Harley Morenstein hosts the Epic Mealtime YouTube program. Right. As well as what's the uh, Epic Meal Empire or something on Food Network. That's right. They got their own show, didn't they? Yeah. Which is dumb, because they can't do what they do on YouTube, which is just get really shitty drunk (laughs) and make massive amounts of food. Well, I'm sure they can still make massive amounts of food. Yeah. You look at that fat fuck, um, what's his face? Um, Guy with the stupid hair. Uh, Stupid hair. uh, He's got a fucking bleach blonde goatee. Oh, Guy Fieri? Thank you. Uh, yeah, they let that asshole just eat copious amounts of food. And that guy that did Man versus Food. Well, yeah, I'm sure they still make mass amounts of food. It's probably not as funny because they're not shitty drunk. Sure. Um, anyway. Anyways, he plays a, a Border Patrol agent, and he's it's it's fucking funny. Yeah. He just kind of gives Wally all these rules to being in Canada. He's a total hard-ass about it, too. Yeah. But then he'll, like, turn around and make a joke. So it's like you never really can read him. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, Wally basically takes the place of the viewer in that he's just like, can't get a fix on the guy. I can't tell if he's being friendly or an asshole. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, and his his accent was, like, spot on. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so they uh, find out where... It's back to um, Guy and Allie and... Teddy. Teddy. Um, they are like on the hunt for Wally, and I mean that. I'm starting to explain the entire film. You know, you know whose accent was not on point? Harley Quinn Smith. Yeah, yeah. She, her a boot was like so exaggerated. Right. It's like I want you to know that I'm saying a boot. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> I almost wonder if Smith told her to do that. I think she's just not a very good actress. Sure. Um. I mean, I'm sure he told her to say a boot, but I'm, she exaggerated it more than it needed to be. Uh, 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 Lily Rose wasn't that bad. No, but she also didn't talk as much. Yeah, yeah I suppose that's true. She's an odd-shaped person. See, you said that before, and I didn't really see it. I mean... Like, not so much in this, because she's wearing, like, the overshirt and stuff, but if you look at other pictures of her, it, she's, she's, she has a tiny little torso. Well, I mean, uh, I, I've seen other pictures of her, and... I mean, she, she yeah, she's like all legs, but I didn't yeah. see anything disproportionate about her. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Um, and this was another opportunity for Smith to fucking shoehorn his fucking wife in it. Yeah. At uh, least it was a very small role, yeah. though. She is just a bad, bad actress. She's and, not very good. I don't, I don't like her as a person. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, I've never met her, but... Even when Smith describes her on 
podcasts. Like, you know, you think he would describe her as, you know, in the most affectionate way possible, and even he just doesn't make her sound like a nice person. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so I don't want to really reveal too much more about the, the, the plot itself, because I think I've explained a lot of it already. Yeah. Um, the... Okay, so, so something that I, I was debating whether or not it was a spoiler. I basically already said that he does t- basically change Wally into a walrus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was not what I expected. No, me neither. I expected more of like a human walrus kind of hybrid. Right. But no, he straight up turns him into a walrus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's fucked up. Because this wall, it, it's not, it, it's a walrus suit. Yeah. He doesn't like contort or shape his body very much into a walrus. He basically puts him into a walrus suit that is constructed of other people's skin. Yeah, there's a face on his back. Right. Um, and that's when you kind of discover in uh, th- through through that and also through uh, uh, Guy Laplante is that He's actually like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> he's not just some psycho trying to make a walrus. And this isn't the first time he's done this either. Right. Um, which was revealed at a certain point in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, won't describe how. But, you know, you're talking earlier about him, the, the tusks actually being made of his femur bones. Um, which, you know, out of his femur? That's what I read this morning. Because he hadn't severed his entire leg. Unless he just pulled a femur out of the leg. I guess. I hadn't thought about that because I thought it would have been like... Um, he broke my tibia. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought it would be like a, the, the tibia or the fibula. But if it's his femur, then I don't, I don't get it. Because he does... The, the morning after he passes out, he wakes up and his left leg has been severed below the knee. Yeah. Or at the knee, whatever. And, you know, Michael Parks is actually sitting across the room polishing what looks like a walrus tusk. Mm-hmm. But obviously you come to find out that's actually a leg bone. <laughs> that's one of the funniest parts of the movie. Is when, when Wally first wakes up and he's still, like, all drugged out. Yeah. He's telling about the doctor that came, and he's like, that's a funny name. I don't remember the doctor's name now. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wally's fucking just so funny because he has no tact. Like, yeah. He doesn't know how to talk to certain people. He's, he's kind of just a prick. A little bit, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, to basically everyone. Everyone he meets, he's just an asshole. He, he kind of has, like, a, this ego about him. Yeah. And that's... Uh, they actually cover that in the movie. Like, uh, Allie's... I guess it's kind of a flashback to, like, right before he leaves. Mm-hmm. He's talking with Allie, and Allie says, you know, I like the old Wally. Uh, you know, the... the and I think it's implied that he was, like, a stand-up, like, stand-up yeah. comedian. Yeah. And he basically says, yeah, well, the old Wally wasn't... You know, he didn't have his face on posters and t-shirts and you know he wasn't he couldn't pay his bills and things like that so it, yeah it did come across as that he had 
develop this ego and um, kind of just this asshole fuck everyone mentality um, just as a way to make money. And you find out that he's like cheating on his girlfriend. It's like, why would you cheat on that? Yeah. Especially if she's like, like wants you so bad. <laughs> All right. So what did you think? I I really liked it. I thought it was really funny, and although it was really just out of this world, I mean, obviously we mentioned before that this was inspired by something that was it. It was either Ralph Garman, I think, or no Scott Mosier. Scott Mosier? Yeah. Okay. It was like a posting that they'd seen for somebody that actually wanted someone to dress up as a walrus and like be fed fish and stuff. Yeah, something like that. Like in real life for this to be inspired by such a far-fetched and off-the-wall subject, you kind of expect that in the movie. Um, so and Actually, during the credits, they play a clip from the podcast of them discussing developing the movie. Oh, did they? I kind of jumped ahead. There's a, there's a brief... I don't even. I wouldn't even call it a stinger after the credits. Yeah, it's but. like ten seconds long. Yeah, it's kind of funny, but yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't further the story or anything no. like that. Yeah, you won't miss it if you don't see it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I kind of jumped ahead, so I didn't. I didn't catch that. Oh, yeah, it's basically them like describing the end of the movie. Ah, right. So anyone uh, who's who's heard that podcast basically knows how this movie goes. Mm-hmm. So, um, they basically pitch the entire movie on on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, overall, this was really good. I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was pretty funny. Uh, I noticed that it seemed like Smith has really matured as a director. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, I mean, this is really far separated from even well, really anything he did in the View of Skew universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even something as late as um, Clerks 2. Or, you know, even... Uh, it, it's It's... It's similar to Red State in its style, but it's a little more focused. Yeah, um, it's not as it's not as frantic, and you're not jumping around. One thing I did, something that seems like Smith just can't get away with or get get away from, is characters just monologuing. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's it's, it's very wordy at parts. Yeah, which I mean, Smith, if like if you listen to any of his podcasts, he's a storyteller. Yeah. yeah. But he seems to have problems sometimes kind of relaying that story to something more visual to tell the story. Right. As opposed to just having someone sit there and tell you the story. Yeah. I mean, there's a point where uh, LaPointe, or LaPont, God damn it, um, is telling a story of his first interaction with Howe's character. Um, and he... Instead of like doing a lot of visuals, like you said, he just he narrates the entire thing. Yeah, and it's like while you could sit face to face with somebody and listen to a story, you don't want to do that while you're watching a movie. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, overall, I I did like it. Um, aside from a few little deterrents, like they said, like the monologuing, um, and uh, you know a few other things here and there. They're not even really worth mentioning. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I think I will give it a eight. 
Okay. Um, yeah, my biggest gripe was that it was a little wordy at parts. I thought that as much as I liked Guy Lapointe as a character, I feel that at parts he was a little too over the top for this movie. I could see that, yeah. Um, so it was like, I, w- I was kind of torn because I did really enjoy the character, but it, it kind of took me out of the movie because it felt like it should have been something more in more of a comedy or um, something like that. Um, that was the thing. This is a very dark and almost dramatic movie, but it had a lot of those comedy elements. Yeah, well, I mean, when you've got, you know, Justin Long is primarily a comedy actor, and right. Johnny Depp can pretty much do anything, but... Um, <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that was my biggest gripe. Well, I guess my biggest gripe was that it was too wordy. And then there was the Gila Point thing. It has a lot of what the fuck moments. Yeah, definitely. Where it's not like really scary per se, but it's just like, what? Why? <laughs> um, which is cool. Um, I, I'm i going to give it a... Seven. Uh, and you know something else is just, I I didn't really like the ending the like little tacked on part at the end uh, yeah like the, basically the one the, year the very thing. very end oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that I, I get it I know why they put it in there yeah but it's just like that took a little too much suspension of disbelief yeah to where it's just like no 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 <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that was, I think overall, my probably my biggest detractor. Yeah. So. All right, and this this is the first of a trilogy, right? The True North trilogy, and they they just wrapped on the second one, which is called Yoga Hosers, right? Which brings back brings back the two girls from A to Z, yeah, as well as Guy Lapointe, right? Yeah. yeah. And apparently, uh, Allie is in it as well, according to IMDb. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm really worried that Smith is going to turn into Will Smith. In what way? Uh, basically, just making movies as vehicles for his kid. Oh, but I mean, he's a retired filmmaker, so right. He doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was Tusk. Uh, check it out. Uh, out on DVD, Blu-ray, and VOD. Um, basically anywhere. So apparently Justin Long is going to be in Yogi Hosers, Yoga Hosers as a different character. <laughs> of course. Named Yogi Bear. That's totally his style though. I mean, and Harley Morenstein will be in it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that, that's no surprise whatsoever. Smith is, obviously, he made his bones off doing that using the same central cast of characters. It's true. No, not characters, but cast. You know what this movie was missing? Matt Damon. Jason Mewes! Uh, <laughs> he was, a. Uh, Actually, not EP, but AP. Him yeah. and him and Jordan. Um, there. Yeah, so, I would have liked to have seen a cameo for him. <laughs> okay, so what do you say we press on to our other movie? Ba ba duk duk duk. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. 
Did he think that about my dad before he died? He sees things as they are, that one. I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioural problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. Stalking me and my child. You can't get rid of the Baba Dog. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. Okay, so The Babadook is a movie out of Australia. It's about a mother and her son, um, Amelia and Samuel. And uh, Samuel's father is dead. And uh, ever, ever since he died, they've kind of had this rocky relationship, which is basically all of Samuel's life because uh, his dad died in a car accident on the way to the hospital to deliver Samuel. Right. Which is pretty amazing that the mother not only survived, but the child survived and had no complications in, in a fatal car crash. Well, yeah, I mean, if he didn't, then you wouldn't have a movie. Well, true. <laughs> but um, That's a simple answer. <laughs> anyways, uh, Samuel is, was he, six? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he starts having nightmares, as little kids are wont to do. And um, he starts seeing monsters, and every time he wakes up, his mom comes in and reads him a story to calm him down. And one night she tells him, you know, you can pick the book tonight. And he brings her this book called Mr. Babadook. And she doesn't know where this book came from. Starts reading, and the the book is real dark and creepy and threatening. Yeah, it starts out starts out just kind of strange, almost like a um, Shel Silverstein book. A little bit, yeah. But then it gets dark. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so she, she stops reading and then once she reads the book, all kinds of weird shit starts happening. Um. You know, Samuel's nightmares get worse. He starts 
seeing monsters when he's awake. He, uh, you know, get, he gets violent at times. And then uh, Amelia starts going through weird stuff too. She she can't sleep. She she starts seeing things, starts hearing things. No, I mean it's like she's got this fucking kid that won't stop screaming, jumps into bed every night with her, even when she's trying to get her nut off. Yeah. Um. Which was a weird. I thought scene. that was a remote control at first, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> never mind. You know, I thought it was a Wii remote at first. <laughs> I was like, she's going to play Wii? The product <laughs> yeah, placement? Yeah, kind of. But yeah, then she, you know, pulls off her panties and jumps into bed and goes to town. Yeah. And I bet she wasn't shaving her legs. Yeah. That happened. Um, and yeah, like I said, she starts seeing things and hearing things. And so... Finally, she figures out that it's due to this book, so she she rips the book up, throws it in the garbage, and the book ends up coming back. And now it has new new words. There's new parts of the book, right. and that was weird because <clears throat> it's a pop up book, mm-hmm. and some of the the, the pop up images are very troubling. Right. Um. It basically. And- Tells Amelia that she's going to go, like, insane and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it basically threatens to possess her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, the, the part where Samuel pushes his cousin out of the treehouse, what are your thoughts on that? Bitch had a coming. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, Samuel's cousin... Comes into this treehouse where Samuel is, and she's like, "You're not allowed to be in here." And he's like, "I'm not hurting anybody. Leave me alone." Yeah. And then she's like, "That's why you don't have a dad. Yeah. Your dad died to get away from you." Yeah. He like, purposely got in a car accident. So yeah, when he, when he pushed her, I was just like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's justifiable." Sure. She was being a little cunt. Yeah, and then she got up with a bloody nose. It's like, well, there you go. Talk shit, get hit. <laughs> Bitches get stitches. That's why your mom's in a fucking wheelchair. <laughs> oh fuck. Um so yeah, then she she burns the book and then goes to the police. And the, she's trying to tell the police how there's this book that's coming after her. Yeah, and, and, they, and they look at her accordingly. They're like, well, let us see the book. And she's like, well, well I burned it. Yeah. And we're like, so you, you burned the only piece of evidence. <laughs> Go away now. <laughs> and she says, well, uh, I received phone calls, too. And he's like, how do you know it was the same person? By what was in the book. The, the book, book you burned. burned. <laughs> <sighs> um, and so, yeah, she just kind of descends into madness and it's it's interesting because you never really know what's her being crazy and what's real yeah I suppose um it, it, this whole movie was very stressful to watch mainly because of Samuel 
because that kid was a little shit. <laughs> he, like I said, he screams at the top of his lungs all the fucking time. He gets in trouble at school. He makes weapons. <laughs> I mean, he is being attacked by a demon. Well, sure, but, I mean, if you saw that and your kid said, oh, I'm being attacked by a demon, what, you're going to say, oh, well, he must be really being, being attacked by a demon. <laughs> you're going to think, no, he's being a little fucker. He's being, damn it, he's being a little fucker. Um, but I'm saying the end justifies the means. I guess. It's like, yeah, at the moment, it seems shitty, but he, he's being attacked by a fucking demon. Well, I mean, like, the whole thing about the Babadook is, um, it, it, it stalks you once you're aware of his existence. Yeah. Which um, is the purpose of the book. Right. And he fucking grabbed the book off the shelf. Oh, Samuel? Yeah, he did it. He brought this upon everyone. <laughs> this is true. So but, he's I a mean, little bastard. He didn't know. He just saw a new book, and he wanted to read it. Ah, oh, fuck that. <laughs> little shit. If he was my kid, and he was, like, coming after me, like, like screaming like that, I'd be like, Go the fuck to bed! <laughs> Put the fear of God in him. Give him something really to be scared of. You're going to be a terrible father. No. <laughs> Should be a disciplinarian. you be an asshole. <laughs> But that's nothing new. <laughs> uh, you know, every time I yell at my dog, my wife was like, I'm, uh, what are you going to be like with our kids? I'm like, you realize he's a dog, right? He can't be reasoned with. This is true. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. I, I got really worried when they started showing the Babadook as a, as a person. You got worried? Yeah, I got worried that it was going to turn really bad. That it was going to be, like, fucking sinister. <laughs> or, like, Darkness Falls or something, where, like, the end of the movie just gets really, like, B-movie. And... That's what this reminded me of, was Darkness Falls. Really? Yeah. I didn't get that at all. Or The Boogeyman. No, I didn't get that at all. Mm. <clears throat> There's three movies that it reminds me of. The Exorcist, but that's mostly the relationship between mother and child. Suppose um, American Psycho, because like I said, there at, at times you don't know if it's her being crazy or if it's her being possessed or what exactly is going on. I suppose. And the end reminded me of Poltergeist. Mm, I guess I could kind of see that. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, this this reminded me of, like I said, Darkness Falls in the Boogeyman. Um, it seemed really. I mean, I don't know. I'm 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 torn on on what I think of this movie because it's been so highly regarded as like one of the best horror movies of 2014. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not seeing it. I I I'm I'm trying to think of something that I missed, and you know some reason why it's so great. But I'm just I don't I don't get it. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know to tell you because I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I enjoyed did. it quite a bit. I, the the first thirty five or so minutes are very slow, very character developmenty. But once you get through that, the creep factor gets cranked up to eleven. It it it, it was creepy. I'll give you that. Uh, at times. Mainly because it's like, um, so child oriented. I mean, it's like so many weird children books have been written over the years. Like I mentioned, like Shel Silverstein. Mm-hmm. Um, just really strange books, and it's like the power of those kinds of books possess in the minds of a, mind of a child. You know. When you think about it that way, things about it are creepy. But I don't think the entire movie was creepy, like, at all. Um, and that may just be because I'm a little jaded, I guess. I mean, just like, there isn't much in this world that scares me anymore. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, cinematically speaking. I feel like you don't really like creepy movies. Um, that's not... A hundred percent true, but yeah, a lot of time, just a creep factor doesn't really do it for me. Like, I mean, I've mentioned we've always kind of had this position of you're the more psychological guy, and I'm definitely the more gore and you know slasher guy. Yeah. So, and that I think that kind of holds true in in, in the context of this movie. Yeah, it sounds like this is like you know definitely reinforcing that. That position. Yeah. <clears throat> the only thing I will say is I, I feel like this movie doesn't have a strong rewatchability because I feel like so much of it is waiting to see what's going to happen next. Right. So once you already know everything that's going to happen, I'm not sure how well this movie will, will parlay into a second or third viewing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I was going to say, it's like, I didn't hate this movie. I, didn't, I mean, like, I didn't shut it off, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't watch it again. See, I, I'm not. I don't. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't watch it again. But I just don't know if it would be as good on a second watch. Right. Um, yeah, I I did enjoy it. I thought it was creepy. It, it kept kept me engaged. Um, See, it did. It, it didn't keep me engaged at all. Like there were times where I found myself just kind of my attention drifting. It's just they couldn't hold me. Well, that's because you, you're stupid. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I mean, let's let's not cut corners here. Let's just let's just get right to the problem. Dick is that you're stupid. Yeah, and you just have terrible taste. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fuck me, right? Um, one thing I, I that bugged me a lot, and you know, a lot of people probably say that. It, I think if I were to talk to a lot of people that like really enjoyed this, uh, like. Like, the same kind of people that call, like, The Exorcist the scariest movie ever would probably enjoy this, which is interesting because um, uh, William Blatty, or no, sorry, William Friedkin, who wrote The Exorcist, directed, god damn it, I'm getting my names all mixed up. Um, Well, he 
said that he thinks Babadook is the scariest movie ever made. Ever? Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. No. Um, but, I don't know, and, and like, I guess what I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is the fact that so much of it was in the dark and like the Babadook was like this entity that just lived in the dark so you could never really see it, mm-hmm. especially in its true form. Um, I when when movies do that, I always think it's a cop out. See, I did think that, but then at the same time, like I said, when it, they started showing it as a human, it did not look good. But thankfully, that would be a spoiler. I'm not going to say that. Um, but yeah, in the, in the true form, it's it's very hard to see. It's in the shadows, and it's. But I don't know. I, I thought it's it's. To me, it's always scarier the things you can't see. I, 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 I guess I'm kind of the opposite of that. I mean, it's like if I can't see something, then it's not real. I guess. See, this... That's why I like the original Amityville Horror, and you probably like the remake. I don't, I don't hate the remake I as much as you remake. do. I know you do. But you also hate Ryan Reynolds a lot. That's not the reason, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I didn't hate the, the remake. Um, I don't really like the original all that much, to be completely honest. It's because you're a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, fucking ghost stories don't do don't do anything for me. I never have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. This, um, like I said, you know, when, when things are in the dark and I can't see them, then it doesn't really affect me all that much, and I don't really care. Um, and what I was getting, trying to get to, is that by saying that, you know, a lot of people would say that I'm like, you know, uncultured or lowbrow or something. It's just like, you know, I'm just some stupid American. It's like, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I like to be shown things. Not I don't see. I feel like the human imagination is scarier than the human eye. So. Well, I mean, things that are on the screen are somebody's imagination. So yeah, not mine. Whatever. Whatever. My my imagination doesn't even scare me. So whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> this show's over. I'm done. This is the one that did it. The this Bobby is the Duke. last episode of the Great Plot <laughs> Podcast. Thanks, Bobby Duke. Fuck you. Um. Anyway. So I mean. All right, just shut up and give me your number. I'm done listening to your stupid bullshit. <laughs> Five. Eight. All right. That might be the biggest separation we've ever had. That's pretty close. It's either that or WrestleManiac. <laughs> Fucking WrestleManiac. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Um, hope you guys enjoyed yourself and uh, we're looking forward to a uh, uh, bright and shiny 2015 we're going to continue to bring you more stuff um, <laughs> more it's not actually the end of the Great Blood Podcast no. there will be stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to you know continue we're going to try and get back on board with bringing, on, bringing guests on the show and um, I don't know I think we're going to try and come up with a new look I think we're working mm-hmm. on that uh, I'm not sure when that's going to be unveiled yet we're still 
banging out the details. But I've also got a new segment we're working on that will probably come out later this year. We do the roundtable. Oh, right. Yeah. So um, yeah. So hopefully it's going to be an exciting year, uh, and uh, I think we started it off on a good foot. So. Um, yeah, uh, check out graveplotpodcast.com. There you'll find links for all our social networks as, where, as well as ways to contact us and listen to every episode. If you've got any good horror business or you want to review a movie or a haunted house or anything else that you've been, been enjoying, you know, that there's, a, there's a contact link right there on the website. So do that by all means. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. So um, I guess it's going to do it for us here this week. Um, and we'll catch you again in a couple weeks. So yeah, when we'll be reviewing uh, zombie strippers and zombies, zombies, zombies. Oh yeah, this is gonna be I forgot. This is gonna be episode triple triple X. Like pornography. Yeah. So yeah, two zombie stripper movies because triple X. Yep. Yep. Like the porn. All nude, all girls, all the time. <laughs> On the next exciting episode of the Grave Plot Podcast. So, uh, until then, I am Skeletoni. I am Taylor of Terror. This has been the Grave Plot Podcast, where we're all just a little dead inside. And we are all together. Bloody Tuesday, man, you've been a naughty boy, you let your face go long. 